Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. We will go to John 6, but let us open for a moment to Hebrews 3. Does Psalm 114 relate to the topic for today? What is the deliverance of the church out of Egypt compared to? What is the arrival in Canaan by that church out of Egypt compared to? But our deliverance from sin, death, and hell into the promised land of heaven. Because Cain in the Bible is a picture of heaven. And who arranged all of it? The mighty God of Jacob. Tremble, earth, because he's coming in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and will deliver us all out of this place, just like he delivered his church out of Egypt. He's going to deliver us out of here, and we will have, there's, there's streams and rivers in heaven, the likes of which Canaan never had. And there's going to be the tree of life there, bearing fruit in its 12 seasons. We are very blessed with the prospect of eternal life. Now let me take a little bit further so that you'll love your Lord Jesus just a little bit more. Let me read beginning at verse 1 of Hebrews. Before you bend your eyes down and look at the pages of Holy Scripture, there was a mediator. There was a mediator with a small m that delivered the church out of Egypt. What was his name? Moses and his little rod. Moses and his rod. Do you know the name of our Redeemer? Jesus Christ and his word. His spoken word annihilates Moses' rod. Any way you want to measure it, we have Jesus as our mediator. He's coming for a bigger exodus. Us out of this world. If we're dead, our bodies out of the ground. All our relatives' bodies out of the ground. There are spirits in heaven that are children of God. In Hebrews chapter 3, remember, the book of Hebrews is Paul writing, converted, believing, Israelite Jews, to convince them not to backslide, to go back to Moses' religion. So he compares Jesus and the New Testament gospel to every aspect of their Old Testament religion, showing that Jesus in the New Testament is far superior. So it's time for Moses. It was angels in chapters 1 and 2. It was the prophets in the first two verses. But now it's time for poor Moses. And then it's going to be Joshua before chapter 3 ends. But let's get Moses taken care of. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man, this man Christ Jesus, for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? And amen. Notice, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end, Paul, writing to converted Jews to convince them to hold it fast and not to go back. 
But there's a comparison made of Christ Jesus and Moses, and Christ Jesus is the Son and owns the house and builds all things because he's the Son of God. Moses is just a servant in the house, and there's really no comparison between the two of them. Do you know what you just sang about one day the grave could no longer conceal him? Where's Moses' body right now? It's still in the grave on Mount Nebo. Where's the Lord Jesus Christ's body? Seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, waiting to stand up for every one of his that come to him in faith at the moment of death. Lord, we're thankful for the, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for Psalm 114 and how well it fits today's subject that the God of Jacob is our refuge and our might, our power and presence. We have him here in this church. We don't have him in the nation of Israel, nor the tabernacle, nor the temple. We have him in this church. And Jesus Christ, our mediator, is about to deliver us into heaven because he's going to say four times in these verses, I will raise him up at the last day. Moses couldn't raise up a man at the last day. Moses couldn't raise himself up. But Jesus will raise up Moses and us by his mighty power. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Oh, Father in heaven, be with us and bless us by your spirit and word to see your son's great salvation and to rejoice and rest in it. I want you to appreciate John 6. And as I have waited on the Lord for you to appreciate it, he has led me to prepare you last night and to prepare you this morning so far to think about death and judgment. Then you will appreciate better the words, I will raise him up at the last day. I want you to appreciate the words eternal life and everlasting life better by considering death and judgment. Otherwise, the words have little meaning. We don't want them to be a doctrinal concept. We don't want them to be an idea, a mental assent to something. We want to see the real, life-giving, death-defying deliverance and salvation that Jesus Christ has for us. And death becomes a good thing. And just give us a few minutes, and we'll sing 345 in the Burgundy before we go to lunch. What might that song be? How sweet to die. Let's prepare ourselves. How sweet to die. Jesus Christ has conquered it for us. Lord be with us, please. Chapter 5 of John told us in verses 20 through 30, and that's 11 verses, so I'm not going to read them to you, but on trial for his life, and we went over these verses, and they were weighty, and some of you are still gripped by them. Right, Henry? Some of you I know are still gripped by these verses where Jesus, on trial for his life, testified of himself of what God had given him, and that was the authority to give or restrict life, and that was to judge all men. That was to quicken whomsoever he will, spiritually or physically, at the last day, and that there are two ju there's one judgment coming of two kinds. The the resur a resurrection coming in the last day, an event that's still in the future, a resurrection of life to eternal life to be with God forever, and a resurrection of damnation to be judged by the second death in the lake of fire. The Lord Jesus laid all that out in chapter 5. And if we're reading along, John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned those 11 verses for us. And they are sober verses. That the man Christ Jesus, that they were ridiculing, persecuting, and one to kill for healing an impotent man on the Sabbath. That man, the Lord Jesus, 
was judge of the quick and the dead. And so we come to chapter 6, and in chapter 6 we're told, I'm repeating myself, and I know it. I will raise him up at the last day. There is a last day coming, and we do not want the last day to catch off, catch us off guard. We do not want to arrive at the last day without thinking about the last day. So the Bible tells us about the last day in advance and tells us to prepare for it and to make our calling and election sure so that in that day there will be a, an abundant entrance ministered to us by the servants of the church, and that's the angels of heaven, will abundantly give us an entrance into the holy city. And all the references to eternal and everlasting life. I want you to appreciate John 6, understand it the best I possibly can help you apply it to yourself, and love the Savior that makes it all possible. Last night you read 1 Thessalonians 1.10. The Thessalonians turned from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son, Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. The last Lord's Day, Romans 1.18, was part of your preparation. Do you know what the gospel is supposed to include? For the, for the preaching of the cross, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Next point that comes up in the gospel preaching. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Preaching the wrath of God is part of gospel preaching. Romans 1, verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. John chapter 3 and verse 36. It's not far from where your fingers are right now in your open Bibles. The last verse of John chapter 3. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. We're going to get similar, nearly identical words in verse 47. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. You are in possession of it. If you truly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can mock death. You can mock the grave, like Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15. We don't want to be foolish, but we want to be believers as much as Paul. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is all consistent about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven in the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ preaching about the wrath of God. The Thessalonians turning to wait for Jesus who saved us from the wrath to come, because wrath is coming. Vehement and violent anger is coming. But not for us, for the rest of this world. Do you know what we're going to be doing in that day? In that day, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, we're going to be glorifying him. Lord, look at him, brothers, look at him. We're going to be glorifying him and admiring him. Those, that's the, those are the Bible's choice of words. We're going to be admiring Look at This is all so fake in comparison to the real thing. Because we've never seen anything like him. And the heaven and the earth is going to flee away from the terror of his face. And we're going to run to him for the graciousness of his face. And I gave you some passages to read about the judgment that's coming. You read about the earth melting with fervent heat and the elements being burned up. You read about a second death called the lake of fire. If your name isn't found in the Lamb's book of life, 
I didn't give you to read Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, which was part of my wrestling last night, where, the, where all the nations will be gathered before the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes in his glory. He'll put the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. He'll tell the sheep, enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, ye blessed of my Father. When were we blessed of a Father? Before the foundation of the world when we were given to Jesus Christ. He's going to say to the season on his left hand, Depart ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That is a big difference. And who's the difference maker? Almighty God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to make a difference in your lives, believers, that you go out of here excited about dying. Because he's already defeated it for us. And he wants to teach us that in John chapter 6. The Apostle Paul said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I want to do exactly what he did. As it is appointed to men once to die, but after this the judgment, so, it was so Christ once died for sins, and he's coming a second time. Jesus saves, brethren. Let's come to him, as he describes it in John 6. There's no plainer place in the Bible that emphasizes eternal life than John 6, hardly. The repetition of the Lord Jesus there should get our attention. Let's make it simple and go for it for a few minutes. John 6 and verse 44. Jesus is responding to an interruption. He laid out in verses 37 through 40 one of our favorite passages about salvation that's in the Bible. All the Father giveth me, in verse 37, he came down to do his Father's will in verse 38. His Father's will was to raise up every single one given to him and not lose a single one. In verse 40, they can know that they're going to be raised up by believing on Jesus Christ. They can lay hold of eternal life. Verses 41 through 43 of the Jews murmuring at him because they're still upset about some things he said back in verses 33 through 35, and that is that he was the bread of God that came down from heaven. So they're murmuring at him because he said that, and they said, we know him. He went to local high school. He's nobody. We know his father. We know his mother. We know his family tree. Who does he think he is that he came down from heaven? And Jesus said, don't murmur among yourselves. He, he knew what they were saying out of earshot because he heard all things just like he hears us. And I, I hope he hears us this morning because he knows we love him this morning. And we want more of him this morning. And we want to love his appearing this morning. I want him to hear us. Murmur not among yourselves. What are you murmuring about? The reason you can't figure me out is the problem's with you, not with me. You think the problem's with me because you think you know my father and my mother. The problem's with you because no man can come to me, no man can recognize me, no man can see me, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And that's the 44th verse. And brethren, do you remember the first time you read that verse with understanding some of you old timers in here? When we first heard the gospel message of John 6:44 that no man can come, we had spent the first part of our lives trying to get men to come without the Father. We thought the Father was trying to get them all to come. And we wondered why nobody came. Then the Lord showed us, and we thank him for that. No man can come to me. No man will come to me because he's at enmity with me. He's full of rebellion and hatred against a creator God and a savior God. He doesn't want anything to do with holiness or righteousness. He's a rebel against the things of the Spirit of God. He's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It's all foolishness to him. He turns away and goes back to his folly. Lord, thank you for saving us. 
We've been over this verse enough. I just love it so much, I, I hate leaving it. But we're going to get it again in verse 65, aren't we? Because Jesus repeats this verse twice to this audience, explaining why there was no means available to get them to believe on him. Here he's been preaching, and he has miracles of healing. He has miracles of feeding the 5,000 from a lad's lunch. And he has miracles of walking the Sea of Galilee and, and calming a storm. They're following him because of those miracles. They wanted to make him king because of those miracles. But now that he's preaching, they are preparing themselves to leave. They're murmuring against him because they haven't been drawn by what is really necessary. And that is the Holy Spirit of God regenerating us, renewing us, changing us, causing us to be born again, quickening us into new spiritual life. They didn't have that. And without that, they were never going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to this point, he says it, stop murmuring among yourselves. It's not because my father, my legal father is Joseph and my biological mother is Mary. It's not because of that you can't figure me out. It's because you're not born again. Because no man can come except. And we love that except there. There's an exception in your case. All of us should go to hell. But there's an exception made for you if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ because God the Father made the exception. Thank you, Lord. We wouldn't have made it. We were just like everyone else rushing down the, the broad way and the, the wide gate that leads to destruction. No man can come except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Jesus is going to say in verses 60 through 65, he's going to say, listen, your problems are so great. What if I was to ascend back to heaven where I came from? Your issue with me right now, look at verse 42. The issue that they had with him is that he said, I came down from heaven. Can you see that in the last five words of verse 42? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? They run right over election. They run right over particular redemption. They run right over regeneration and not a single one being lost. They run Because all they can think about is, what's this guy that's lived among us? We know his address saying... I came down from heaven. Well, and I've said this before, but I want you to know John 6 before we leave it forever. Or for a long time, probably outside of my lifespan. In 60 through 65, he's going to say, what and if I were to, to ascend up where I was before? Do you think that would convince them that he came down from heaven if he could go back to where he came from? It would not convince them. So he said, I already knew who was going to believe and who wasn't going to believe. That's why I said to you, no man can come to me. And he repeats it in verse 65. I want you to understand that he is teaching against a hostile audience right now, and they are all going to leave him except a few. Let's chase a rabbit there. He, they're all going to leave him except a few. Where are you today? Are you and those that want to get out of here and get away from me and get away from the Word of God and get back to your life today? Are you a John 6 here? Or are you one of the 12? Well, one of the 12. Let's see. Can we find three categories of the 12? Can we find a devil in their midst? Is it going to say that there's a devil in the 12? Yes. Is there one in the 12 that claimed to love Jesus Christ more than the rest? Yes. Did Jesus confront him about that after his resurrection? Yes. Which one are you, brethren? Are you one of the John 6 seekers? Are you a devil in the midst of the church? Are you just an average Joe like the other 10 apostles? Or are there some Peters here today? Some Peters, brethren. Some impetuous, impulsive, mistake-prone, but Christ-loving Peters. Are Jack Zach's one. 
You should have heard him this morning. I wanted him to preach. I'd say more amens than he does. But brother, look at that. How many of you read Genesis 48 yesterday and saw Jacob in his bed going through his 12 sons? That is not what you call a family reunion. Oh. He starts with Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah, and he works all the way down to Joseph. But weren't there about three categories there? Were there some really wicked brothers in that family? Were there some very average brothers that got about that much said about them? And you're saying, that's not very nice. Jacob, come on. Couldn't you cough up another verse or two for them? But all they got was a little verse. Then you get Joseph, bang. You know, and you get Judah because of God's grace. Was Judah a good boy? No. But God was gracious to Judas in spite of it, wasn't he? Because through him was going to come the Lord Jesus Christ who is grace and mercy. But there was Joseph. And so the question is, who are you? Brethren, we all have a choice to make today. Are we Simeon and Levi, the vessels of cruelty that killed a whole village that their father made a covenant with? Are we Reuben that slept with his father's wife? Or are we just one of those average guys that's going to pay tribute and be a burden bearer the rest of his Some of them were just said, you're going to bear burdens and pay taxes. Pay tribute. Or are we going to be Joseph or Judah by grace? Oh, that's two rabbits. Back to John 6. It's just... It's all within your reach to be great in his sight. Because it's by his grace. And it's by his strength. But he wants us to believe on him and to love him and to go after him. Paul said... I am what I am by the grace of God. Okay, so I'm giving God the credit for the grace that changed Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul. I am what I am by the grace of God. But his grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Is that giving God all the credit? Is that Paul also saying, I did work hard. But he had fun doing it. So at the end of his life, he could say, I have fought a good fight. I want you all to be able to say it. When that moment comes, and we are like that, and I'm six inches from your face, and I'm helping you to go into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want me there, you might not. Pit bulls on cracker do not have good bedside manners. But I will try. When we're right there, I want you to know I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. And I want to know it with you because we'll talk about it. I'll tell you that you've done it. And some of you in here I can say that for. Let's all do it. He died for us. We can live for him. I'm going to leave verse 44. There is much that could be said. Much was said last Lord's Day. I could say much more today. Except the Father which hath sent me, Jesus reminding them of his divine mission from heaven. He constantly keeps pushing that, though they did not like it. Draw him. And that drawing is a powerful drawing upon us. It's not just inviting us. Because if you invite a sinner in the Bible, does he come? Is there a single sinner in the Bible that would come from an invitation? No, there would not be. It's got to be a renovation of the heart that makes us willing. Does the Bible say, God hath worked in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure? Once you do that on the inside of regeneration, then there are additional there are additional ministries of the Holy Spirit of revelation of revelation to our quickened and awakened minds and hearts by which we embrace the Savior. I've I've given you this le- lesson and reminder. If you want to learn about the Holy Spirit, it is the Epistle to the Ephesians. 
Go online, limit your search to Ephesians 1, 1 to 624, and type in spirit, and you will have yourself a lesson. That was Paul's church. Chapter 1 says they were elect. Chapter 2 says they were born again. But you're going to find in every chapter another ministry of the Holy Spirit. So there is drawing beyond regeneration, but no man can come. There is no even beginning to come and to believe on Christ, even to see the kingdom of God without being born again, without being quickened from death. Because our natural state is death spiritually, and we don't see, we don't come, we don't do anything toward him until that is changed. Once that is changed, then the word of God, then preaching, then the ministry of the Holy Spirit brings forth that life into activity, which is what I am trying to do with the best of my ability right now to lead you to Christ, to embrace him and to love him as the victorious and conquering Savior that died for your soul will not lose a single one of us that believed on him and is coming for us very soon. But the drawing here is pulling us to him. Why does it use the word draw? It doesn't use it anywhere else in the Bible. Why does it use the word draw? Because Jesus is operating with the word coming. No man can come without being drawn. That's why. When he's in the place of death, it's the, verse he, the, word, the word he uses for this change in us is quickening. Because quickening means to give life. Or it's born again. Which we know, when we read the words born again, oh, we just have to ask ourselves, what did I have to do with my first birth? Absolutely nothing. What do I have to do with my second birth? Absolutely nothing. And God chooses these different words. It's like the facets of regeneration. In this particular case, it's come to me. Come to me and believe on me. And so the word is drawing. But it's a powerful drawing on the inside that changes men. It's, it's equivalent to being born again, to being quickened, to being renewed, and all the other terms the Bible uses to describe it. Because just presenting the gospel to somebody will not draw them. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. I gave you some verses last time. Just use John. If you just use draw and drew in the Gospel of John, you'll have some wonderful cross-references in chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 18, and chapter 21 about power outside of a thing being exerted upon it to move it. And boy, I'll tell you, God's put some power forth on our behalf to change us and move us toward his Son, to his Son, giving us new life inside there's much more that could be said. Some of you have probably heard things in your life that sounded very eloquent but weren't very true. Like Song of Solomon, chapter 1 and verse 4 says, Draw me and I will run after thee. I read some sermons this week. Good old Augustine. Wonderful. I'm sure it would have jerked tears right out of your eyes about our being drawn to Christ in John 6, 44, being the same as being drawn with a lover in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, and verse 4. But the problem is in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, and verse 4, there's no enmity whatsoever nor inability between those two parties at all. That doesn't fit. You know, when somebody starts going to the Old Testament for New Testament doctrine, I get very scared. I get cold chills. My sweat turns cold because I think that I smell a Presbyterian that wants to find the doctrine of baptism. See, a Presbyterian will never study the New Testament to find the doctrine of baptism. They've only got one place they can go in the Bible. It's Ezekiel chapter 36 where they find the sprinkling of water and they say, see, New Testament doctrine is sprinkling. Okay, another verse. Hosea chapter 11 and verse 4. 
I drew him with the cords of a man, with the cords and bands of love. I drew him. I've, I've heard some pretty neat sermons from that text. I drew him with the cords of a man. I drew him with the bands of love. Do you think that love will get a, a dead sinner to come to Christ? First of all, just, let's just get out of the way. No, it can't be saying that. Well, then you go and read the context of Hosea chapter 11, verse 4, instead of pulling out a soundbite. And you know what he's saying there in Hosea chapter 11? I did everything that I possibly could for my nation of Israel, but they still rebelled against me, so I'm going to grind them powder. That's what it's about. That's what Hosea 11, 4 is about. It's the same as Isaiah chapter 5, where God said, I couldn't have done any more for my vineyard than what I did for it, but when I went looking for grapes, I got wild grapes. That is what Hosea is about. Hosea is telling them why God is going to destroy them and take them into captivity. Because though he drew them, though he did everything he could to be the most beneficent, benevolent, loving father to them, they still went and worshipped other gods. Read the context. Enough. Let's get to John 6.45. It is written in the prophets. Before we do that, sorry. I'm sorry. Have you come to Jesus Christ in the sense of this lesson? No man can come except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Have you and I come to Jesus Christ the way that we should? I have seven quick questions for you. and Let me make them quick. But they're, they're serious questions. Have you rejected any associated benefits or desires but Jesus as Lord and Savior alone? Are any of you coming to Christ, this church, communion, singing about the Lord Jesus for any other reasons or desires but Jesus as Lord and Savior? Can't be for family, can't be for friends, can't be for professional encouragement, can't be for anything but Christ. Two, do you love his transcendent beauty and glory as God's only begotten son? Do you love his transcendent beauty and glory as God's son? Do you see in him the substitutionary payment for your sins by a holy God? Do you see that he is the holy substitute sent by God to pay for all your sins and suffer the wrath of God in your place? Do you see in him the coming judge and executioner of all rejecting him? Do you know that he's the Lord of the universe and the coming judge, the blessed and only potentate, judge of the quick and the dead, king of kings and lord of lords? Do you know that about him? Do you love that about him? Do you appreciate that about him? Do you submit to him as that? Number five, is he altogether lovely to you so that you would serve him forever for nothing? Is he altogether lovely to you so you would serve him forever for nothing? Or better yet, like the Apostle Paul and others, would you serve him with persecutions, afflictions, and trials forever, as long as you lived in this life? Six, is gaining his approval worth enough for you to gladly sacrifice everything else in your life? Is gaining his approval worth enough for you to gladly sacrifice everything else in your life? Seven, has your love of him radically changed you to hate self, hate sin, and hate the world? Then we know that you've come to Christ. Anything short of that is not good enough. He'll say you cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to pluck out the right eye, cut off the right hand, end relationships. Jesus is very sober. 
serious about discipleship. Okay. Let's answer those questions right. Let's help each other answer those questions right. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Isaiah 54 and verse 13 says that. Isaiah 54 is about the gospel state of the New Testament church because the Apostle Paul quotes Isaiah 54 and verse 1 in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 27. So we have an apostle telling us that Isaiah 54 is referring to gospel times when, and Jesus quotes it, verse 13, they shall be all taught of God. It is written in the prophets. And it's taught elsewhere as well. But it's the quote here, the way that it's worded, is from Isaiah 54 and verse 13. It's also taught in Jeremiah about the new covenant that God's going to make with the New Testament Israel. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. There is a teaching ministry by Almighty God within his people that results in them believing on the Lord Jesus Christ because he renovates their heart and becomes their teacher spiritually by writing his law, writing his commandments on their heart and on their minds, giving them a new spirit and a new heart. The Bible says all these words, new heart, new spirit, writing, writing his doctrine in there, which is brought forth when they're presented with Christ by the gospel, and they embrace him because they have inside that teaching already so that when it comes to their ears and they have this regenerate self inside that's had those things written there, that yes, amen, yes, I believe that. That's caused by internal teaching that precedes external teaching. And Jesus here is quoting their scriptures to tell them why they didn't believe on him. Because notice what he says, Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me, but he had just told them, You won't come to me. He told them that back up there in 36, Ye also have seen me and believe not. And they're about to turn and go away from him. And the reason is, they haven't been drawn to Christ in verse 44's terminology, and they haven't been taught by God in verse 45's terminology. This is the teaching that counts the most, internal in the heart and in the mind. What changes a man from mocking the gospel to loving it, but being regenerated and taught of God? The Greeks heard the gospel and thought it was foolishness. The Jews heard the gospel, and it was a stumbling block to them because they wanted a different kind of a redeemer. Then the elect, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 26, the elect, both Jews, elect, and Greeks, elect, they hear the gospel, and it is to them the power and wisdom of God. That is a huge difference. It's just not, oh, that's okay. That's okay. That doesn't offend me like it offends these other people. No, it's the power and wisdom of God. What made that drastic difference? God teaching them on the inside, and Jesus here is laying the doctrine down in, in germ form that is developed elsewhere in the Bible, like Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10 that tell us about him writing on our heart and in our minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, You are the work of the Holy Spirit written on the fleshy tables of the heart. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us and does a writing job. And so then when we hear it through our ears, we believe it. It matches up. And if that's not there, it doesn't match up because everything in our heart is wild, vain, and rebellious against God and His Son, the Lord Jesus. What changes a man from cursing Christ to calling upon Him on the cross? But being taught on the inside that that man over there next to you is different than what you think he is. There was a tremendous teaching lesson that took place. And there was no one preaching from the ground. There was nothing entering the audible audio ears of his... The audio nerves of his ears. Is that correct? Close? 
There's nothing entering there, but it was happening inside. He's cursing the Lord Jesus Christ. And a few minutes later, he tells his partner, shut up. Do you know who you're talking to? We're hanging here because we deserve to. This man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he says this, Lord, you want to hear your short prayer in the Bible about how to die? You want to hear? Have I used these? Lord, do you know how much that is in that one word? No man can call Jesus Lord except the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. You say, what about those in the great day of judgment? Lord, Lord. There's no sincerity behind that. But here's a dying man. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Amen. Kingdom? I think he understood the word Lord, don't you? Right. When he says, when thou comest into thy kingdom. He knew where Jesus was going. To his kingdom. They on the ground were saying he was operating with the power of Beelzebub and would be with the devils. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Have I helped you today a little bit? Lord, save me. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's how to die. Amen. Remember, Sherry? a bull of a man, fearless in life, but not in death. That man was always my father-in-law's pastor, even after 30 years. Pastor, what's going to happen and what's it going to be like to die? All because of one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is being taught. Those four expressions in the Bible bring tears to me because I've been taught on the inside. Then I get to read from the outside and the two match up. And I just about blow up with joy, confidence, hope. And I have something to give a person if they want to come to Christ and believe on him. The Holy Spirit can reveal truth like no other teacher. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 16, too long to preach right now, but it is, it is marvelous. It is marvelous. If the princes of this world, this is 1 Corinthians 2, if the princes of this world had known that they were messing with the Lord of glory, they would not have touched him. But God hath revealed those things unto us by his spirit. Yea, even the deep things of God he's revealed to us. We have the mind of Christ. This is all in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. I love all of you so much right now. One of us is going to be next. It may be me. Sometimes I don't care. Sometimes when you sing How Sweet to Die, I wish there was a coffin up here. I'd crawl into it and pull the lid down myself. Sometimes when you sing that song, I'm serious. When you're the brother, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're singing that song and you mean it in your hearts, it's overwhelming in here sometimes. I'm sorry I'm chasing rabbits right now. When my mother was in that box, do you remember that poor funeral home director from Anderson? He's standing in the back. As soon as we cut loose on how sweet to die, he's on his cell phone dialing his wife as fast as he could. It's like, listen to this, you've never heard anything like this in your life. Ever since then, I've been able to call him and just say, we're the singing church in Greenville. Oh, Crosby? But it wasn't me, it was you. Was Paul ready to die? Did Paul say it's far better to die and to depart to be with Christ than to be here? Should we have a little bit of that? I want you to have a little bit of that because 
This is in the red writing in your Bibles. And the red writing says, I will raise him up at the last day. I will raise him up at the last day, 39, 40. I will raise him up at the last day, 44. I will raise him up at the last day, 54. Why is that emphasis in there? Don't be scared by John chapter 5 about the resurrection of a damnation because he's going to raise us up at the last day. And we can, we can go to him and we can mock death. And we can learn how to die. He showed us how to die. God had forsaken him. God is not going to forsake us at the end like he had forsaken Jesus at the end. Jesus Christ's faith was so great that he would still say, after saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He knew he had done everything that he should, and that though he had been forsaken, giving up his spirit into the hands of God, he was going to be perfectly safe. And was he perfectly safe? He entered into joys and pleasures forevermore that Psalm 16 describes and Hebrews chapter 12 confirms. God commanded light to shine out of darkness. In Genesis chapter 1, he commands light to shine out of darkness right in our hearts, showing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. There's great revelation by the Holy Spirit. And that's what's being addressed right here. Hebrews chapter 8 talks about the writing in our heart. Second Corinthians chapter 3, the fleshy tables of the heart. We get a new man that's created in righteousness and true holiness. That's an internal operation. And that new man knows a lot that's brought forth into activity by the preaching of the gospel. And we pull it forth. We draw it forth. And so verse 45 is just written in a different way, quoting from their Old Testament to back up what he said in verse 44, words that they hadn't heard before. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Then he uses their scriptures to point out that there's a teaching ministry of God. Let me read the words of the covenant in Hebrews chapter 8. This is the new covenant. We remember the new covenant every time we take up the communion cup and say, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. This is Paul in Hebrews 8. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. Internally. There will be an internal ministry made that would match up with what the apostles taught. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. But these people didn't come to him, so what does it say about them? They had not heard nor learned of the Father. That's, that's how Jesus was preaching to these, his hostile audience. Verse 46, not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Now, verse 46 is, is, is somewhat strange, but it's there for a reason, because these people were so naturally and carnally minded, he corrected a possible misinterpretation that they would make by taking verse 45 and making it literal, natural, because they'd done that with the bread. Okay? So he says, not that any man hath seen the Father. Teaching back in these days only took place one way. I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry, Daniel, Michael. And all of you that go to school, you, you take online courses. So you're not in the presence of a teacher. You sat at the feet of a person. You sat right there at his feet, and he taught you verbally, and that is how you learn. And so by him using teaching in verse 45 and referring to God the Father in heaven, he's afraid that these natural carnal not afraid, he's going to abuse them a little bit with this 46th verse by explaining, I don't mean literally on earth, it's an internal ministry of God. 
Not that any man hath seen the Father. He wasn't contradicting what the Jews already knew, is that no man can see God and live, save he which is of God. There is only one that has seen God, the essence of God. The, 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 what God revealed was Jesus. Jesus Christ knew God. He was with God and he was God as the word. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. I'm not referring to anything that you're thinking of, but I've been in heaven. I've seen the Father because I'm of God. And he just sticks that in there and then goes on to verse 47. It's kind of a strange verse, but it's countering a natural application or interpretation of verse 45. Verse 47, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And this has been stated so many times in chapter 3, chapter 5, and chapter 6. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And that audience is being confronted right then. Were they going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, and fall at his feet and repent before him? Or were they going to say, don't we know his dad? Wasn't his dad Joseph the carpenter? And walk away. And they walked away. And Paul would say to them if he were there, as he said in Acts chapter 13, you have judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. What are we going to do today? You have a Bible with the red writing in it. It's in writing. Jesus is speaking to us. He that believeth on me hath is in possession of everlasting life. I need to end right now, but one verse by cheating ahead. Verse 57. You want to talk about life power? You want to talk about a life force? Verse 57, as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, which means to believe on him as a Savior, even he shall live by me. Do you know what power of life is in that 57th verse? The living Father. I am that I am. Do you know what kind of life that is when you can say, I am that I am? That is independent, self-existing life. The living Father, I live by him. I am God in the flesh. He sustains and upholds me by my, in my divine nature. And everyone that believes on me, even he shall live by me. Jesus would say in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. What life power we have here in this passage. This is the life-giving force of Jesus Christ, the life-giving purpose of Almighty God in sending his Son. Jesus could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But by him, we can go directly, boldly into the presence of God because of that life-giving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life because it demonstrates that that power was exerted on our behalf, drawing us and teaching us, quickening us and causing us to be born again. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Do you love him? Are you willing to sacrifice anything for him? Do you know he's coming as the judge of this world? Would you serve him for nothing forever? Is he altogether lovely? 345 in your burgundy hymnals. May Jesus Christ be praised.